This week on the Wyndham Community Podcast, it's all about the upcoming state election. If you live in the Point Cook electorate and you're wondering why a local GP would be running for state government, we might be able to help you understand with a detailed interview with independent candidate for Point Cook, Dr. Joe Garra. Welcome to the Wyndham Community Podcast with Shannon McGuire, a local resident of Wyndham with a passion for the community and improving our connections. The show aims to provide a balanced and safe platform to keep you informed about what's happening in your community and promote engagement locally. I hope this show can help you learn new things and inspire you with ideas from locals and people that care deeply about our area. Every episode, we aim to give an in-depth analysis on local issues affecting us all, events and investigation of people within our community with interesting stories, responsibilities or opinions. As I say every episode, There's a whole section in bookstores on self-help, but there's no section for helping others. This show is not only about your views, but how we can help each other. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording today, the Bodorong and Wadarong people. I pay my respects to elders, past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. As the state election is fast approaching on Saturday the 26th of November 2022, we reached out to key candidates for electorates within the Wyndham City area. Dr Joe Garra agreed to come on the show and tell us why he's running for the Point Cook electorate, along with what he believes are the key issues for the area. For those of you new to the show, I'd like to invite you to our local Facebook group called Wyndham Community Podcast, where you can connect and discuss local issues and events with like-minded individuals. It is a safe space for questions of leaders in our community and engaged citizens. But more so, it's a space to engage with others to arrange meetups and opportunities for all. There's a link to it in our show notes on how to join, or please contact myself, Shannon McGuire, on Facebook for an invitation. But before we start, every episode I would like to make you a little more knowledgeable about our area. A quick fact about Wyndham is that we have a sister city called Costa Mesa in California, USA. It is just south of Disneyland. Considering we're talking about politics, it's an interesting fact that although as a city we have traditionally been a safe seat, Costa Mesa is traditionally split down party lines, which quite literally are 32.1% of voters registered for both of their major parties. And with that, up next is an interview with Dr. Joe Garra. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to Dr. Joe Garra, independent candidate for Point Cook in the upcoming state elections. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for the invite, Shannon. Uh, Tell me a little bit about yourself and why you put your name forward to represent the electorate. Okay, well... um... Born and bred Westie, I grew up in North Altona for the first half of my life and second half I've been in Werribee and the last 15 years in Werribee South. And I suppose my interest really got heightened back in 2017 with the um, protest about the proposed youth detention centre in East Werribee, Werribee, which was part of Werribee South. And at that time I was the chair of the Werribee South Ratepayers Association. So I thought, well, it's my duty to stick up for our members and um, get involved in the protest. And that's when I realised that um, because we were a safe ALP area, ALP didn't really care 
what happened to this side of town. And the Liberal Party, the opposition, realised that they were multiple elections away from ever having a chance of winning a seat at this side of town, so they ignored us as well. I thought, well, you know, I'm just tired of and frustrated with the lack of services, infrastructure, schools. There's so many problems on the western side of town, and that's been my main catalyst. I thought, well, rather than just sit back and complain about it, get involved and try and make a change. And um, and last time I stood for Werribee, but um, yeah. Werribee South has now been redistributed into the new seat of Point Cook. Mm-hmm. And I've been always very vocal to say the local representative should live in the seat. Because I say, let's actually live and breathe the seat, you know, seven days a week. You don't really understand what's happening. When you come in and just work for a few hours during a day, well, you know, you don't really get a, a picture of how hard it is to actually um, travel around the suburb because you actually, if you're coming to work to wherever, you're actually going against the traffic and you're going home against the traffic, so you think it's all wonderful. And, yeah, you have, you have the issues with your kids going to school and how to get the kids to school and the schools are all crowded. So you only get hearing what people tell you, not actually living it. So I believe that a, the local MP should be living the electorate. Yeah. And have been for a while by the sounds of it. Yeah, well, I've been in Werribee 30 years now and the last 15 in Werribee South. And as a local GP since 1988, um, I have the amazing opportunity of seeing multiple people a day, all walks of life, all nationalities, and you learn so much about them and the community just by talking to them. And um, they've all got their stories. They've all got you know issues they're having. So you learn quite a lot about the community in my role, and it's, it's a real privilege. And it's, um, I've learned so much from patients about the issues they have living in this area. All right, I'll move on to the next question. So I asked my 15-year-old son which questions I should ask the candidates, and I think his response was perfect. He wanted to know how you make decisions, specifically how you balance information provided to you from experts in areas such as health or the economy, and at times they may differ from views within the electorate that you serve. How would you go about doing that? Okay, well, I've got a, a perfect example. Um, public transport in the area, it's a real problem. And the frequency of, say, buses uh, every 20 minutes. So if you miss your bus, you're stuck for another 20 minutes. So you think, well, what's the point? I'll just get in my car and drive to the station because it's, you know, the station's only five, 10 minutes away by car. Now, Melbourne University have done this amazing study called Better Buses for the West. But they've sort of done a redesign of bus routes which they say after the initial expense is actually cost neutral, but it gets you buses every 10 minutes. So I'm thinking, well, they've got experts in the field looking at this matter. I mean, it's not about me coming up with an idea. That, you know, I've got to concede that the transport experts at Melbourne University will know a lot more about bus movements than I do. So I thought, well, that's a great idea and get behind it. So, you know, to answer the question, for all different issues, you look around it, get all the information you can and go, okay, which one makes the most sense, which is the most logical? What are the experts telling us? It's not someone's pet project, it's actually the experts. And for example, major, major projects should all go through either Infrastructure Victoria or Infrastructure Australia to determine the you know, suitability of those projects. So we're not just wasting money 
on a project with little benefit. But that's how I would go about it. So further to the last question, let's say that there was a new COVID-19 strain, which was twice as deadly uh, mm. as the previous ones, and there was a clear health recommendation to return to lockdowns. How would you balance this advice with the community expectations and impact on the economy and mental health of people? Obviously, you probably have a unique uh, uh, expertise in that yourself. but Yeah, look, I've basically lived... <laughs> COVID the last three years, right? And look, I've been a major proponent of vaccination because that's actually saved lives because it's definite proof that if you're vaccinated, you get less unwell. So again, you'd have hopefully a newer vaccine that's better for the newer strains is developed quickly. You'd encourage that. But as for lockdowns, we've got to look at what we've learned with what we've done. And I think we know that surface spread is minimal so we forget about wiping down power poles and stuff outside in the outside world that's silly we also know there's very little evidence of outdoor spread most spread is inside buildings or at home or at work and also the evidence is now emerging from around the world that schools are not a main driver of transmission the number of kids catching covid mirrors what's in the community it's not not higher in kids going to school compared to kids who aren't going to school. So you know, if you do lock down, you may have to lock down. You may have to stop people going to their workplace, so you work from home. But you would allow what can be done safely to be continued to be done safely. For example, schools, you say, right, we know schools are safe. Kids wear, might have to wear masks. You might have to have windows open, make sure the vaccines are up to date. And um, that's the best environment for kids to learn. When kids have lost a lot of, you know, teenagers have lost two years of their schooling, which they're going to get back. They've now finished school and they're out in the workforce or at uni and they've got this huge gap and they've lost major skills in how to communicate with people. I mean, they've spent two years yeah. communicating by screens and, and phones and, and it's not quite the same. Yeah. Um, you know, kids' sport is great for mental health. So, you know, even if the... You've got a deadly voice. You go, okay, kids, this is how you're going to play your sport. You get dressed in your uniform at home. Your parent drives you to the to the oval or the basketball court, drops you off. They can't stay and watch. They come back later and pick you up. You don't have change rooms. You just have toilets to use. And kids can play their sport safely, and it's great for the mind, great for the body. So we have to, you know, use the lessons we've learned. Okay, like, you know, three years ago, we didn't know much about what was right, what was wrong to do, but we now have lots and lots of evidence about what does work and what doesn't work. So we've got to follow the science. <laughs> you know, they always, people always say follow the science, but then you don't actually get to see the science, but it's emerging now that lots of things we did, we probably didn't have to do. Now, with the experts thought it was the right thing, but um, at the time, many of us were actually querying it, saying, oh, it doesn't really make sense. You know, how's two kids playing footy going to give each other COVID? Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, there was that stupid example of South Australia where the husbands have said, if the ball's coming into the crowd, don't mm. touch it. Like, really? Like, you know, you're not going to catch COVID off a footy. Yeah, if there's live virus in the footy, you've got to touch the, that bit of live virus and put it straight up your nostril because otherwise you'll be putting your hand somewhere else, wiping it off. So, mm. yeah, there's a lot of silly stuff said over the last two years. So, yeah, you might have to stop people going out and about, and that's fair enough, going into work and that's where they're going to catch it. 
but it was located at home. So we never want to see what happened you know, a few years ago where they locked, and it was mainly working class migrants, where they just locked them in their towers at no notice. And basically that was, oh, it's okay if you guys all catch COVID, so always going to give it to us. And it was a shocking response for those poor people. It should never happen again, that type of you know, response. But, you know, you just got to follow the signs, be careful, and learn the lessons of the last you know, three years now. Well, that kind of ties in very well to the next question. Um, so Wyndham had had a disproportionately large impact from COVID on its residents yep. and health and economic outcomes and limited targeted supports in place. Um, what would you have done? You have kind of spoken to this a bit, but what would you have done differently and what would you do differently in the future to support, I guess, our unique um, yep. demographic right. situation? Uh, look, I think this is where I'm really proud of Wyndham Council. We are probably the first area where once became obvious who was being affected. Wyndham Council reached out to the community leaders that they knew in their different communities and said, okay, guys, this is what we need to do. And once the vaccine came out, they were excellent. Like we approached them about setting up a vaccine hub to, you know, duplicate the efforts of what was happening at Eagle Stadium. And um, that worked really well. And we had specific days. We had one specific day for the Islanders to all come along and be vaccinated. And we made sure everything was culture appropriate. You know, they had women-only vaccine centres, the council at, um, at a mosque. So you just got to have targeted um, messaging. And I always said our whole COVID messaging by the government was those very long press conferences, usually on a Sunday. I'm thinking, well, who's watching those? It's the upper middle class sitting at home. Like the poor migrant woman with four kids is too busy wrangling four kids and getting food organised while hubby's out there working, doing his, you know, packing the food to deliver to people in the safety of their own home. So we've got to look at more protecting a lot of those um, essential workers. For example, abattoirs, we should have been in a lot earlier and saying, okay, we need this abattoir going, but you all have to wear full PPE. And, and modify, okay, guys, sorry, we're going to have to have staggered lunch breaks. Like, work a hand off to have them all crowded in together. But you've got to give more support to the, because unfortunately it's offered migrant workers who are doing the essential work that we need to keep going so everyone else is fed so we've got to get you know make sure that they're safe you know our whole i've said before our whole messaging was very white i called it and um that has to change now just having a press conference at 11 a.m on a sunday morning on all the mainstream media doesn't get into the migrant communities a lot of them don't you know understand english that well they may not have, be good with computers and so you've got to change your messaging you've got to get it out into the communities and you've got to use your community leaders and a lot of the migrant groups are still very faith-based so they've got local churches that and they respect their church leaders so they should be used a lot more to get the message out to people In order for this community to flourish, please subscribe to the show on your platform of choice for regular updates on issues and events that affect you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android-based podcast apps. Just search for Wyndham Community Podcast. We also have a Facebook page called Wyndham Community Podcast. Please join and be as active as you would like there and talk to your friends and family to also join in on this social experiment. A lot of shows ask you to rate them on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice, and we would love you to do this, but what's much more important for us is considering that we are a local podcast to Wyndham, 
and only really focus on the people of Wyndham and the surrounding suburbs is if you want to support the show, please tell a friend or family member in the area to get involved and to share our show with them and others in the community. And with that, let's get on with the show. So next question, uh, what are the three main things that you would work towards achieving if you were successful in representing your electorate? Three. Okay, well, look, I'll pick three in the chat. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, number, three. One, yeah. number one's health. That's the big one for our area. I mean, we do have a, a hospital in the area, but less than 40% of people who require to be an inpatient can actually get that care at Werribee Mercy. So over 60% of people who need to be admitted to hospital have to go outside the suburb. And that's, that's not, not right. I mean, and look, you'll never get 100% because there are certain procedures that are done, for example, brain surgery, which won't never be done at Werribee. But, you know, you've got pregnant women travelling to Sunshine because the maternity hospital, maternity ward isn't big enough at Werribee. You know, you've got people injuring their hands who can't get, you know, plastic surgery done. We haven't got a plastic surgeon at Werribee, have to go elsewhere. Look, I've got a little quote where I say, you shouldn't drive past a public hospital to get the same level of care at another public hospital, if that makes sense. You can get a higher level of care, which means that service can't be provided, but if it's not being provided at your local because of capacity, that's wrong. You just, you've got to get the capacity right. And look, you should be able to treat at least 70 or 80% of the population at your local hospital. Yeah, there's only the, the really, you know, super specialised stuff that you can't expect to be done locally. So that mental health, on the health issue, mental health, we there is no public outpatient psychiatry we can refer to. So at the moment, as a GP, if you've got depression, I can treat you. I can refer you to a psychologist to help. If you deteriorate and you can't afford to pay to see a private psychiatrist, and that's usually weeks or months away, there's no other option. I've got to keep doing my best until you're sick enough to require an admission to the mental health unit where it be. I can't access, there's no one to access at the mental health unit to see you as an outpatient. I'll only see you if you're acutely unwell and need to be admitted or close to that. So there's a big gap in care that we don't have here. And same with youth mental health. We don't have much youth mental health services in the area. And teenagers, it's it's all of them really struggled the last two or three years. And I look, I've had to. I hate doing it. But I've had to put someone on antidepressants because the wait to see a psychiatrist was you know, months away. And I thought, now this kid needs help now. And we've got the psychology, but they're not getting better. They need sadly need medication. So health's a big one. Look, just the way you move around the suburbs, huge too. I mean, you know. We've already mentioned the bus networks, the trains. I mean, they, they, again, there's a little group called Rail Futures that have put together a proposal for a modification of Metro 2 where the tunnel from Fisherman's Bend would come out at Newport. Not Newport, would come out at Spotswood instead of Newport. And from Spotswood, there's already a train line to Sunshine, a freight line, and then you get the train out to Melton that way, and then you come the other way along the existing line from Spotswood to Werribee into Windhamvale. And that looks like a really good proposal. And it's one that you know, the government needs to look at and go, oh, these guys have a clever idea. This might actually be better for the West than just Metro 2. And also gets people to, from Spotswood, you get the sunshine and to the rail link. And look, you might have to change a couple of trains, but I think if 
trains are offered enough, people don't mind. I mean, if you've hopped on and off trains, but it's a quick changeover, you know, five minutes or you'd be happy, you go, that's fine. You know, you're not going to be, you know, if you miss a train, you don't want to be waiting 20 minutes for the next train and think, oh, get back in my car. So we've got to get cars off the road because that's a major issue. And the other way, of course, of getting cars off the road is getting more local jobs because, you know, over 60% of people, again, leave Werribee just to go to work. And they think, that's wrong. Why can't we? Yeah, and they're going to often do often doing high-tech, you know, IT work or they, well, that could be, surely we could do that in Werribee. And that's where East Werribee comes in. You know, we can really develop that in stages. It's going to be virtually impossible to get it developed all at once because it's billions and billions of dollars. And um, But you can creep it in. You can add more, you know, tertiary education along the um, Hopper's Lane side and so invite more unis there. And you can get some high-tech, you know, if you're going to make um, electric buses, you sort of say, hey, come and come and build electric buses here in, in Wyndham. You know, you, you've got all the, lots of people in Port Cook are, you know, very, very smart. There's, there's a high percentage of people with tertiary education in Point Cook. So they would love to, to work five minutes away. So, you know, if you're working close to home, you've got more time, you've got more time for your family, more time for recreation. You know, you, you don't get all grumpy driving to work every day. So you've know, got to get local jobs. And, um, and the same with schools. We need to build schools at the same rate as houses. So all the states, when they get planned, have allocated land for schools. Well, the government should just buy the land as soon as houses start going up and build the school. So the school's ready when the kids are ready to go to school. What's happening at the moment is the states get full of kids and they have to go to the next nearest school, which often has to have portables put on because you know, there's, there's, that's the only way to get them into a school. While they then go, oh, we better build a school in that state now. There's so many kids that need a school. Well, it was all predicted. I mean, an outer suburb is going to be home for young families with kids. It's not going to be home to the retirees. They're not going to buy a new home in Point Cook or, you know. So a lot of that stuff's predictable, and I don't understand why governments um, don't just do it. And um, we shouldn't have to be pleading for a school. Well, there shouldn't be this big announcement, oh, we're building a school for you. Aren't we good? Well, no, you have to build a school. It's it's like feeding your kids at home. You know, we don't expect our kids to applaud every time they have dinner because we've fed them. It's something you just got to do. So just just build a school. It's it's you know, it's nothing to be proud of that you've that you've had to build a school five years too late. And um, now we've got the average number of kids at Wyndham schools is almost double the average of Melbourne, which means you've got packed schools. And the more pause you put on a school site, the less green space you have. Then you're forced to, like some schools in Point Cook, to actually have staggered lunch breaks so to fit all the kids out. So you think, well, that's not good. Part of part of being at school is interacting with your own mates, but interacting with, say, your siblings' friends who might be older or younger. So you learn how to integrate, you know, socialise with kids of all ages at a school. If you've got staggered lunch breaks, all you're going to do is socialise with your own classmates, and that's not healthy. It's not a good way to be. It's a waste of being at school. School is just about learning. It's also about learning social skills. So having huge schools doesn't actually help that. And again, by having a school closer, you get kids off the road. They can walk or cycle to school rather than getting lists from their parents. I mean, my, all kids should be able to have a public school you know, within walking or cycling distance from their home. 
I think you've come up with four, but I'll, I'll let you get away with that. I'll have to let yeah. others get away with it as well if they come up with four, but that's okay. Yeah, I didn't mention integrity, but so I'll just mention it as one word. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, fair enough. So the city of Wyndham's known for two areas of serious infrastructure issues. We're the worst LGA in Australia for green canopy, and we're also the worst for accessing swimming infrastructure with just two pools covering about 300,000 people. What can you do to invest in these areas? Well, the first we say was swimming infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah, well, Point Cook, there's a proposal by Hobson's Bay to build an aquatic centre in Altona Meadows, and it's in Bruce Common Reserve, which is next door to Point Cook, basically. So for $60 million, they're happy to put in 20. They want 20 from the state, 20 from the federal. So that's something that, um, you know, easily fight for that. That's just a no-brainer. I mean... As aquatic centre can be used by so many people, so they just got to do it. As, again, it's one of those things that it's just got to happen. So, now the green canopy, um, yeah, a lot of the states don't have much trees. I mean, it's part of the fact that newer states often don't have trees. So it takes a long time for trees to grow because you know the landscape gets gets flattened. What we should be also doing is developing the park. Again, all estates have land set aside for green space that should also be like the school start developing it as soon as you know you're going to start selling houses start getting the, the trees planted the playground up and get all that stuff you know it's only going to be a year or two before it gets used just get it started you know, east werribee again you've got this huge parcel of land there and it's flood prone so there has to be a lake developed there to help keep the land usable so again, there's an opportunity to have this wonderful space. You've got to have a man-made lake and you can plant trees, have great opportunity to have, you know, sporting fields and so much stuff at East Werribee if done properly. Okay. Last question. Um, when running for local election myself a couple of years ago, many state issues were raised by residents as major impacts on their lives. Most importantly, these were the infrastructure investment, in particular train stations, major road upgrades. Um, we need these quicker than the current proposed government. Uh, at the moment, they're looking at, you've spoken about some potential options there, but at the moment there's a proposal for a four-year wait for the David Rose Road train station um, and just a setting up of a plan for one in Truganina. So that's that's one issue. And then the second most complained um, issue outside of infrastructure was the town planning system. So currently allows for smaller blocks, no real infrastructure investment, mm. but also there's no clear downtown in a lot of the new suburbs like Tarnak North, Tarnak West, Truganina, Williams Landing. What would you do, I guess, to address those those two issues, either now or retrospectively and into the future? Yeah, well, again, we've got to... Look, there is a fund called the Growth Infrastructure Fund that all developers of new areas have to contribute a levy into. And currently, as of now, there's been over $200 million contributed by developers into that levy. Only $100 million has been spent in Wyndham. So the government is, according to the books, it may not have the money there, but is actually sitting on over $100 million of money that should be used in the new infrastructure suburbs. So that should just be, just spend the money. What are you waiting for? It's actually money that was, the fund was designed to allow spending to happen in these in these new states as needed, but it's not being spent. So that money can be released. That's automatically some money there. I mean, the, the road infrastructure, for example, you know, Richard Point Cook, or Port Cook Road, and that's 
There's lots of land where it can be duplicated. So where there's space, just duplicate it. It's going to have to be done eventually. Just do it now. What Again, what are we waiting for? You know, it's important to duplicate that. And then you can do all sorts of different things with the double lane point cook ride. You can start, you can have, you know, bus only lanes at peak time. So it gets your buses moving quickly. So people go, oh, I'll catch the bus. It's much quicker than driving, which is all, all helps the environment. It's, it's, there's so much stuff that can be done if you just think ahead. And that's the problem. We, we often, as I say, the whole area is five to ten years behind where it should be all the time. It's everything that's promised is always catching over cracks. We're, we're never going, hang on, just do all this now. So it just requires massive investment in the area. And we're not asking for overs, we're just asking for an equal share of the investment. <laughs> I don't think any of the requests that a lot of the residents have are unreasonable. You know, they're all saying, why, why have we got a good road here? I don't know why you haven't. There just should be a good road there. So we're not asking for you know, gold-paved streets. We're just asking for you know, proper infrastructure. And, and so what can I do about it? I'd be just, look, <laughs> I get pretty passionate and fired up. So that's me. That's what you get. And that's what I start to say to people. Look, if you're voting for me, you're actually voting for yourselves because not being aligned to a party, as long as what people want is reasonable and makes sense and it's logical and there's... You know, evidence behind it well i fight for it it's not going to be my pet project it's going to be the community's projects so that's the advantage of independent is we could just you know really fight for the people and bring up what they want you know, for one classic example is the alp have promised to put traffic lights at at central avenue and point cook road and duplicate a bit of central avenue and they're calling it an upgrade to point cook road well it's not really and i haven't actually found anyone who council had no idea that was going to happen hobson's bay so Think, well, how do they come up with this project? Is this their idea of how to do something that looks nice but haven't actually discussed with anyone? And the classic was both level crossing removal in, in Werribee, hoppers in Werribee. At consultation sessions, but it became painful, obviously, to those that they were just a tick-the-box exercise because someone asked them, well, what if we hate this plan? And the guy said, oh, there's not much we can do about it. Well, why are you coming and having this meeting for then? You know, they just send us a letter saying this is what's happening. They come, I guess, all come out and talk to you about what we think is wrong with the plan. Uh, a lot of that happens in which shouldn't be happening. I mean, yeah, local councils they do heaps of work about what the areas need. But they know where the schools should be, where this, you know, where the roads need to be improved. So you know, we've got all the work done there. Just use it. Don't just pick projects because you think it's a good idea. So is there anything else you'd like to add in relation to your candidacy and I guess also ways that people can contact you to find out more? Yeah, well, there's lots of ways. When there's, look, the easiest way to get the initial contact, when we, we don't update it very much, is the website, which is just joegarrett.com.au. But there's, and that gives you links to my Twitter account, to Facebook. Uh, it's got a, um, a phone number there, which is a campaign phone number. It's got an email address, which again is just joegarrett at joegarrett.com.au. There's lots of way. And of course, you know, I'll be at pre-polling every single day, every hour for the next two weeks at the Pocook Town Centre. So happy for people to just stop me and ask some questions while I'm handing out the vote cards. Well, thank you very much for coming on and uh, good luck with the rest of the campaign. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks so much for the invites. We want your ideas and feedback on the show itself and what we can do to support you in your local area. Have you got a story that you would like us to cover or an issue that we have not covered yet? Or even a guest that would be amazing for us to meet? Please contact us on Facebook, email at windhamcommunity at gmail.com 
or call me, Shannon, on 0408 308 451. If you do like the show, in order for others to find us, please rate us on your platform of choice, including Apple Podcasts. If you do rate us on Apple Podcasts, we will read out the rating and comments live on the next show. So with that, I wish you all the best and hope this show has given you information, food for thought, or connection now or into the future with somebody. Look after yourself, and if you can, somebody else in your community. 